Welcome to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. Several years ago, Avery was a very little girl, and she was in our kitchen and was holding a small glass. And her tricycle was behind her. She forgot it was there. She turned around to run off. She tripped over the bicycle, the tricycle, dropped the glass. It broke and then fell directly on the glass. It missed her eyes by millimeters. It was a very challenging situation. We got Avery to the doctor. They were able to stop the bleeding and they referred us to a plastic surgeon. And so at the age of three, she goes in for surgery. The plastic surgeon wants to clean it up and stitch it up. And she doesn't want her to have a large scar on her forehead the rest of her life. And I will never forget the surgeon coming out to us. Vicki and I were anxious. We were nervous. We were a bit frightened. I think anybody would be when your young child is put to sleep and even though it seemed to be something very routine, it raised our anxiety levels as parents. And so he comes out and he sits down and he looks at us. And I'll never forget this. He said, well, well, the skull did exactly what it was supposed to do. Isn't our anatomy incredible? He said the glass shard hit her skull and slid up. And thus the skull prevented her brain from being punctured by the glass. Let me tell you, when you have a three-year-old precious little girl, that's not the bedside manner you want as parents. All we were looking for was, she's fine, she did well, and everything's okay. That's all we needed. He patted me on the shoulder, he got up, and he walked off. And for a few minutes, Vicki and I just stared at each other in amazement. Did, did he really say that? Was he that nonchalant about this whole surgery involving our precious little daughter? And he did. So this morning, we're coming to Mark chapter 6, and we're, we're going to see a great physician who has a great bedside manner. Remember, the people in the text are bringing their sick friends and family members on their beds to Jesus. We're going to look at the, the gracious, compassionate, loving bedside manner that this carpenter and shepherd and king has. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that through it you speak to us. Lord, may it descend into the very depths of our soul and may it change us. Father, may your word permanently dwell in us, drawing us and conforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. Help us to hear. So we're only going to look at two things this morning. We're going to look at compassion and we're going to look at 
healing. So the first thing I want us to, to examine, to talk about, to discuss is compassion. You see in the text that Jesus has come to this region. He has come ashore and the people are flocking to him. They want to touch Jesus. They want to hear Jesus. They want to be around Jesus because momentum is building regarding his ministry. People are beginning to have a better understanding of who Jesus is and in particular what he does. He performs miracles. He heals people. And so they are dragging their friends or dragging their relatives to him in the hopes that they can, and think about this, simply touch his garment. Simply so they can touch his garment. Let's get another perspective of who Jesus is and how he has compassion towards people who are hurting, people who are in need, people who are sick. Look in, look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. This is Matthew chapter 9. 35 through 38, another angle from another gospel. Verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then his then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks out on humanity and he feels and understands and senses the fall. The ramifications and the effects of sin on humanity, on people. And his compassion goes out towards them. His heart goes out towards them. This is who our Savior is. This is who our Redeemer is. He is a man of compassion for his people. When we read in Matthew chapter 9 about the people who are sick, the people who are struggling, being a sheep, Without a shepherd, my mind immediately goes back to Isaiah. Goes back to the great prophet and what he said about the coming Messiah. Isaiah 40, verses 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. The picture that we're getting in Mark and the picture that we're getting in Matthew is of Jesus' compassionate heart. Isaiah says all the way back in the Old Testament that when the kingdom comes, when the king comes to establish his kingdom, he will be a servant of compassion. He will be like a shepherd. That is who Jesus is to us. He is a shepherd. He cares for us. Remember in the Gospels that it talks about Jesus going off to look for the lost sheep. This is who Christ is in our rebellion, in our sin, because of our strength, because of our transgressions, Jesus came looking for us. We were lost. We were in a pit. We were without hope. And this compassionate shepherd comes looking for us. 
and he pulls us out of the pit and he makes our footsteps firm and he places his love upon us and he brings us into his kingdom. This is who Jesus is and this is what he has done for us. This should motivate us. This should move us to worship. It should also move us to compassion. That when we examine Jesus in the Gospels, when we study who Jesus is, when we see the shepherd who has come for us, when we see the man who is healing the sick, when he is touching them, when power is going out from, from him, when we have a full and a clear understanding of, of regarding who Jesus is, in us, it should create compassionate hearts. That when we follow after our compassionate Savior, the reaction in our lives should be one of compassion as well. When we understand what He has done for us, it should, it should through the work of the Holy Spirit, mold us and shape us to look more like Him. And when we look more like our older brother, it means that we are compassionate people in word and deed. That we care about others. We care about each other in this church plant. We care about our family members. But it also means that we think through what it means to love and show compassion towards our neighbors. What it means to love and show compassion to our community that we want to understand what does biblical compassion look like? How can I love them well? How can I care for them well? How can I go the extra mile? How in the name of Jesus can I help others? That's who our King is. And that's what He has done for us. And as a result, we should want to do that for others. It should be a part of our spiritual DNA. It should be a part of our spiritual lives. We should be known collectively as a church, as a new church, and we should be known as individuals who have trusted in Christ as people of compassion. We care for those who are hurting and those who are in need. This is just one of the things that comes with following Christ. Dying to self, living for Him, and understanding this shepherd loves us deeply and has shown us great compassion. A compassion that according to the Word of God, we did not deserve. It's a great picture of who Jesus is is that should motivate us to seek Him as we love others well. Hear what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Paul is saying to us, put on compassionate hearts. May our hearts be 
Christ-like. May our hearts look like His. Why? Why should we put on these compassionate hearts that Paul mentions in Colossians 3.12? Because we are chosen. Paul is reminding us that God has pursued us in love. God has sought us out. God the Father looked to the Son and said, Go and rescue them, redeem them, draw them to me. Jesus comes and he gives his life on the cross so that we can know the love and the fellowship that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has. So that we can partake in this, we can experience this, we can know this forever. God has sought us out. God has redeemed us. We are chosen. When we understand that, when we understand that we haven't just decided to follow God, That we haven't decided to just simply pursue Him. No, we were dead in our sins. Dead men don't walk. God chose us and He changed us. And when we realize the compassion that He has shown us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it should produce within us compassion. We put on compassionate hearts because Paul tells us in Colossians 3.12 that we are holy. Stop and think about that. We're not broken. We're not fallen. We're not egregious. We're not horrible. We are holy. That in Jesus, because of his atonement, because of his sacrifice, because of his willingness to obey the covenant Perfectly, perfectly, we are transformed. We have been made holy. We are no longer apart from God. We are no longer sinful creatures. We belong to the family of God. Think about the fact that He has made you. He has made me holy. And when you dwell on that, when you reflect on that, you understand the importance of compassion. Look at what God has done for me. He has chosen me when I didn't deserve it. He has made me holy when I was a sinful mess. What a compassionate and caring God. And then Paul mentions one more thing. You're not only chosen, you're not only holy, you're beloved. It's not like God has said, I'm placing my love on you. And I'm making you holy. But keep it a distance. God says, I am placing my love upon you. I am making you holy. And you are my beloved. You are my child. I care about you deeply. You belong to me. And so because we are chosen and because we are holy and because we are beloved, the children of God, we should have compassionate hearts. Secondly, healing. Healing. I want us to return to Isaiah, but it's a little bit longer, so I want you to turn in your Bibles and look at Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 10. 
Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 10. Now remember, Isaiah is prophesying to the nation of Israel. He's prophesying to Judah. He's telling them that judgment is coming because of covenant disobedience. Judgment is coming because of covenant unfaithfulness. You will have kings who are not going to be the ideal Davidic king. Troubles are coming your way. Problems are coming your way. It's not going to be like you expected. And in the heat of the moment, you're going to think that perhaps God has forgotten His promises to His people. And so in this prophecy in Isaiah 35, 5-10, He is reminding God's people, God's true people, what the Lord is going to do when the Messiah comes. Read this with me. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah is giving us a picture of the coming of the Messiah. That when the kingdom comes in all its fullness, God's people will no longer be tortured. God's people will no longer be afflicted. God's people will no longer be oppressed. Everything will be made right. The wilderness will be tamed. The desert will flow with water. The highways will be free and clear and protected for God's people to walk into His presence. That when the Messiah comes to establish His kingdom, He will make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the lame will not walk. They will leap like deer. They will leap like deer. So when Jesus comes ashore and He begins to heal people, we are seeing a glimpse of what the kingdom will be like in all its fullness. Jesus, as the creator of all things, as the Lord who is sovereign all over all things, has the power to heal. But we know that Jesus eventually ascends into heaven. And what will happen to these people? They will eventually die. And so we're just getting a look at what kingdom life is going to be forever. That all of our afflictions will be wiped away. We will be made whole. The sick will no longer be sick. The blind will be able to see. The deaf will be able to hear. That God is turning everything upside down for His glory. And He is going to renew and restore 
all of creation and we get a glimpse of it in this moment. Jesus is not here physically, so we may ask the question, what about healing for me? I wish I could touch his garment. I wish that I could be physically healed. It's a different type of healing that Jesus brings to us in the present. About a year ago, eight months ago, our son had to go to Lamar. And he had to have a, a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. And so while he was undergoing these procedures, Vicky and I walked around the hospital. We got a cup of coffee. We sat down. I'm a little bit restless, got up, started walking around, noticing all of the children who were coming to Lebanon, noticing that some of them were sick, noticing the critical nature of some of the children. And as I'm walking around and I'm looking at them, I notice that there is a, a chapel in Lebanon. And I, I step into the chapel, I pray for my son, I pray for the other children who at Lebanon, and I just begin to think about how Jesus heals in the Gospels and what it would be like for Jesus to walk through St. Jude or Lebanon and to just touch children and heal them. So my son came through his procedures okay and we put him in the car and we're, we're driving out and I got a little bit turned around and I look in my rearview mirror and most of you have seen this if you've been downtown Memphis. The Lebanon sign, they're their symbol is a heart. This big, beautiful, red heart. And as I'm driving off with my son waking up from his procedures, I begin to think about that symbol, that imagery, the heart. And I realize that our greatest need is not physical healing. That our greatest need is new hearts. For God to give us new hearts that beat for Him. Hearts that will beat for Him forever. And so when we think about Jesus and we think about His ministry and we come to this text in the Gospels and know Jesus is not here to touch us and to heal us, but what Jesus has done for us is that he has come and he has given us new hearts. He has healed our damaged arteries. He's cleansed our valves. He has given us new hearts that seek nothing more than to love him and to worship him and to follow him. We have been healed. Here's 2 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Hear that again. By his wounds, you have been healed. So like the crowd in Mark chapter 6, Jesus comes to us as well to heal us. And he gives us new hearts. So he has healed us. 
But we know that according to the Gospels and according to the New Testament and the coming of the Holy Spirit and its work in us, that not only have we been healed, we are being healed. So we have new hearts, but the Holy Spirit is our cardiovascular surgeon who continues to walk with us and make sure that our heart beats for Christ. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is our defender. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And I don't know about you, but I know myself, and I know that my heart needs help every second every moment. So our hearts have been healed. Our hearts are being healed. And lastly, our hearts will be healed. Hear this encouragement from Revelation 21, verse 4. He, being Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus has healed our heart, Jesus is healing our heart, and Jesus will heal it ultimately. When we come into the kingdom and we see him in his fullness, we see him in his glory, we sit down at the banquet table with our king, and as we look around, we will celebrate and worship him because sin and death and misery and sickness and problems and issues and struggles will be no more. That is the bedside manner of our shepherd. Praise, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, our King, our Shepherd, we praise you for what you have done for us the compassion that you have shown us, the compassionate hearts that you have given us. Lord, may we be compassionate towards others because we have a very full understanding of what it is that you have done for us. Father, we thank you that you have, that you have healed us. Lord, we know that we can come to you in prayer for the physical issues that we face, for the sicknesses we face, but we know more importantly that you have healed our heart and through the work of the Holy Spirit you are healing our hearts and that ultimately when we see you in glory our hearts will be healed forevermore. Thank you, Jesus.